0: The following audio is from Life Center Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Amen. Well, we are in our last week of this series called Reconstructing Faith. So we've been looking at ideas and questions that you guys have actually answered and come back to us. We've condensed that down to six big sort of categories and themes. Uh, and so today we are looking at the concept of God and morality. Uh, this is a really, really big topic. And I, I personally had a... a almost like an awakening to the concept of morality as a young person who uh, ended up essentially making a really, really bad choice, having police come, put me in a cell, <clears throat> take a mug shot, take some, I don't know, they made me put my hand on something that had like black on it, and then I had to kind of put some, some handprints down somewhere, uh, had my fingerprint taken, and I had this moment in my life where I was confronted with bad decisions, choices, Uh, And the concept of morality really became a big question mark for me. What is right? What is wrong? Who gets to determine what is right and what is wrong? Where does that come from? If you've been a Christian for a while, um, you will know that atheists have kind of come at Christianity for a long time from the place of science. Uh, And that in the last decade, or at least particularly the last two decades, has shifted from being coming at Christianity from a place of attacking science to coming and attacking Christianity on the base of morality. And that is because, as Christians and as a church, there is church history and there is Christian history. And Christians have not always done the right thing and the good thing uh, there's a really, really interesting book by John Dixon called Bullies and Saints, where he actually explores pretty much church history from Jesus all the way through, and he looks at all the different stories and all the different times where Christianity has been beautiful and done wonderful, but also acknowledging where Christianity in the church has not done well. And it is this tension that we live in with our, our past history, but also looking forward to, well, who are we trying to be and who are we trying to follow? Richard Dawkins once said this. This will come up on a screen. He says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential. Megalomaniacal, you, you get the deal. Set a masochistic, capricious, malevolent bully. Tell us how you really feel about God, Mr. Dawkins. Uh, as, as many people come to God and explore the concept of God, we, we wrestle with the problem of evil and morality in the world. And everybody is asking big questions around where did we come from, where are we going, what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose. And also we're asking the question, if there is a God, is he good? And is it possible for goodness to even exist in the world if there isn't a God? And so what happened, I guess, really you could say through the Enlightenment period of the 17th and 18th century, what happens is a whole bunch of uh, big thinkers basically Kind of decide that we're moving away from God and religion, and our science, philosophy, the evolutionary theory is now going to replace that, and all of these things are going to make this world a better place. Do away with God. Do away with religion. Reason becomes the highest sort of uh, authority over sacred texts and scripture. And so, what I want to do is I want to explore the worldview in which we currently are living in within our context. And whether it does, in fact, actually lead to good news. Whether it is actually, in fact, making our world better. And then I want to finish with looking at the Christian worldview. And why I personally have come to be convinced that the Christian worldview is actually the most consistent and the most good news worldview that we have in the world. So, uh, science cannot give us morality. Everybody agree that Shane did a good job on science and God and God and science? Yeah, he did a great job. Okay, Uh, he agrees with Albert Einstein, so put those two figureheads together, that's where Shane's intelligence level is, that's where he kind of lands in that peak. Um, Pretty much, it's it's a non-thing now, in, in the 21st century, now that we're in 2021, hardly any scientists are really coming at Christianity from the place of saying that science is disproving that there is a God, okay? Everybody's kind of agreeing, science is in a different category, it cannot do that, but science also cannot give us morality, it cannot determine what is good and what is wrong. I would say, nor can philosophy. Jacques Monod says this. He says, one of the greatest problems of philosophy is that the relationship between the realm of knowledge and the realm of values. Knowledge is what is, values are what ought to be. I would say that all traditional philosophies, up to and including communism, have tried to derive the ought from what is. This is impossible. If it is true that there is no purpose in the universe, that man is pure accident, you cannot derive any ought from is. Philosophy is talking about the realm of ideas, but you cannot from that get any sense of value, moral judgment, eth- ethical judgment. Contemporary evolutionary theory seeks to ground morality. Uh, but Alistair McIntyre says this in one of his books. This, I found this really, really helpful. What he says is that a moral judgment about something can never be made apart from an examination of the given purpose of the thing. He goes to the example of a pocket watch. If you were to receive a pocket watch in 2000 before Jesus, right? Right? 2,000 years before Jesus, and you were to receive a pocket watch, you would have no idea what the intended purpose of the pocket watch is. You have no concept that there is a thing called a watch that can do time, 24-hour periods. You have no concept. So it's hard for you to make any moral assessment as to what this thing is supposed to do and bring a moral judgment against it. For us, in the 21st century, if we get a pocket watch, and it is not telling the time, what will we say about the watch? This watch is what? Broken. Broken. It is useless. It is not doing what it is intended to do. So you can only bring a moral value, a moral judgment against anything if there isn't an intended purpose for that thing. He goes on to say that you would never use a pocket watch to try and stop a cat. So nobody throws a pocket watch at a cat trying to tell the cat to stop and then gets upset at the watch for not doing its job. I don't know why I use the term cat. We'll leave it there before I get things thrown at me. So his point is that without knowing the purpose of a thing, you cannot have a moral evaluation of the thing. And ought can only occur in light of of a being being created with a created and intended purpose. You ought to because this is in accord with your design. This is in accord with what you were made to do. So if you take away theism, if you take away God from the equation, you do not necessarily increase morality. What you do is you no longer ground morality in anything except subjective, relative morality. And this is where we get to with our culture. It's not necessarily just a Christian worldview versus a secular worldview. It is an objective morality worldview versus a relative morality worldview. Either there is someone or something that gives the morals to the creature, or... There are no morals for the creature, and every single person, individual, must therefore relatively go subjectively into themselves and decide for themselves what is good, what is right, what is wrong, and what is evil. As a young person exploring faith, I went and explored that and thought, hmm, that gives me seven billion people with different views of right and wrong and good, and evil. Dostoevsky, writing as someone who is critiquing this worldview, says this, he says, Without God and the future life, everything is therefore permitted, and anybody can do anything. If morality is relative, on what grounds can we say that anything is wrong? You can't. Because morality is what is good for you, what is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me. Therefore, we live in a world. What do you think happens in this world? You and I cannot agree. So, what do we do? We war, we fight, we throw grenades because eventually what happens is a moral relativist encounters another moral relativist who has different morals. And so why do you support this and not that? And it starts to, in my view, fall in on itself. So Duescoffi was basically saying, if there is no objective morality, then there is no moral lawgiver. And if there is only relative subjective morality then in essence, no one can objectively say to somebody else that anything is evil or good. There is no ground, there is no source in which to ground any form of morality. Anyone here seen iRobot? Will Smith. I heard they're bringing out maybe a second one, is this true? Anyway, they do. Uh, If you've you've seen the movie at the end that the robot uh, named Sonny is at the end of his life... Uh, If you want to call it that, it's a robot, and basically it has this moment at the end of the movie where it has done all that it has been designed to do. And literally, Sonny says, now that I have fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do. And Detective Spooner, what a weird name, says this, he says, I guess you'll have to find your way like the rest of us, Sonny. That's what it means to be free. Give yourself your own purpose, give yourself your own meaning, and give yourself your own morality. That is what subjective, relative morality does. Tim Keller notes two major problems with this worldview. Number one is the problem of freedom. See, our number one thing is in a human culture, uh, culture is freedom. Human autonomy. No one gets to tell me what to do. Hands up, who likes that? Yeah, okay, there's a few. It's like, yeah. Um, as you get children, they start to go, yeah. You don't get to tell me what to do. And as a parent, you go, yeah, I do. I do. And we have these tussles in the family. There's a sentiment within the human heart: we desire to be free. Nothing wrong with a desire to be free. I believe the Bible says that God wants us to be free, but that the Bible, the Christian worldview, says that there is a difference between cultural freedom and Christian freedom. See, cultural freedom says, to be free, there must be no no restrictions on me at all, no boundaries on me at all. As soon as you want to put your morality on me, now you have kind of blocked me in. You are now controlling and restricting me. And the Bible would say, actually, to be free, to truly be free, it's not the absence of restrictions, it's the presence of the right restrictions which actually leads to your ultimate freedom. Because we are not created beings, uh, because we are not the creator, but we are created beings, we are limited beings, and therefore we have to live in, with a certain level of limitation. So, for example, great penist. How does somebody become such an excellent penist? Well, they deny themselves freedoms, they restrict themselves in order to practice and, and practice and practice. Anyone here love tennis? Great, four of you. Let me talk to you four for a second. Pat Rafter is a great example, became the number one player in the world, uh, won the US Open twice. Pat Rafter didn't go to school his week. All of his friends mocked him, and he said, I can't go to school this week. I cannot give up a day of training because I don't have the athleticism of all the other players I'm constantly playing against. I must sacrifice. I must live in sense of, like, I'm going to have certain restrictions in my life. I'm going to eat certain foods. I'm going to not eat certain foods. I'm going to drink certain things not drink certain things. I'm going to do certain things with my time and not so that I can ultimately become the very, very best version of myself. The Bible says... True freedom comes from living with the right restrictions according to your design. Good example Tim Keller uses this is the example of a fish. Right, a fish is living in water. It's with all of his Aussie mates. How you going? Are you, you going? All right with the mask? Yeah, it's annoying. You know, I'm sick of scanning in my car. Yeah, I know. You know what? I'm sick of this. I'm only going to live on land. Yeah, you go, mate. Nobody tells you what to do. And the fish hops out of water and goes on land, and all of his Aussie mates are like, you be an Aussie, you be an Aussie free man. How does it go for the Aussie free fish on the land? It goes bad. Why? Because the fish was not made, created, designed to live without restrictions. It wants to. It wants to be completely autonomous and free. And so it goes and lives on the land. And how does it go for the fish? The fish eventually dies. Its so-called freedom does not bring life. It actually brings death. But in the water, where it is made to be and made to live, that is where the fish is most free. So the Christian worldview says, yes, there are restrictions. Yes, there are objective morals that God places on us. But living God's way, living in light of God's design, is not to deny our freedom, but actually to bring us the most freedom. Tim Keller also goes on and kind of highlights how this particular worldview leads to moral schizophrenia. So, for example, let's look at this quote from Mari Rudy. She writes in The Call of Character, Living a Life Worth Living. She writes this, "'Although I believe that values are socially constructed rather than God-given,' Okay, so that they're morally relative and subjective and then constructed socially. I do not believe that gender inequality is any more defensible than racial inequality, despite repeated efforts to pass it off as culture-specific custom rather than an instance of injustice. Do you see what she's doing there? I, I believe that all morality, all ethics, are subjective. Except this one over here, which I'm saying, now this is objective, this should be across all cultures, all peoples, all times. There is this sense of we have this this moral schizophrenia, because we are always saying that my morals are right and your morals are wrong. I know the truth, you don't know the truth, because all truth is subjective and relative, and it doesn't work. This leads to a sense of cultural and moral schizophrenia, because everyone has the right to define right and wrong. Question, is there any person in this world that is participating in behaviors that you believe they should stop doing? Hands up? Yes. Everybody, Christian, non-Christian, christian Secular person, spiritual person, religious person, everybody believes that there is a limit. There is something in which we would say, that is wrong for all people at all times. I'm yet to find the person, I won't say the particular thing, but you know the thing of which I'm talking about, that would say that this is appropriate behaviour with children. No one will say that is appropriate and that is okay. But the only way that they can say that is is through uh, moral relativity. Because you're saying it's purely relative. It's subjective to me. I get to determine what is right and wrong for me. It is inconsistent. And it does not lead to harmonization. It leads to polarization. Because we cannot agree. Our culture cannot agree even in our state. Can I just say, in this building, we can't agree. Some of us are jabbed. Some of us, non jabbed. Oh no. Oh, the talk. <laughs> Is daddy having the talk? Is it okay to mandate vaccines? Some of us are like, yeah, they should, because we need to protect. And others are like, no, they shouldn't, because then that's going against our inalienable rights. We can't even, as Christians in the church, agree on things. Let alone you go into the wider culture. Let alone you go from country to country, from an Asian perspective, an African perspective, a Middle Eastern perspective. We cannot agree. And so Christians would say, well, maybe there is an objective morality, because there is an objective moral giver. There is someone who is saying, this is how we live. And so for me, in my journey, I tried to get around morality. I think partly because I didn't want God to tell me what to do. I don't want anyone else to tell me what to do. I've been a Christian for 20-something years. I still don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I hate it when people point out, that what I did wasn't good right so here's where I want to lead us this morning I don't think the Bible is simply trying to tell us what to do I don't think the purpose of the Bible is to make bad people good people and just give us a bunch of morals I think what the Bible is trying to show us is here's who God is come and meet him explore him And if you can know him, then maybe you can trust his good design for your life and what is good not just for your life, but the actual community life and the country's life and the world's life. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, Dawkins' quote that we started with is his view of God. Why would anyone want to follow God? The God that He mentioned. I don't think any of us are sitting here going, Yeah, that's yeah, that's our God. That's why we follow Him. You know? It's like we would go, You you don't know the God that we know. You are misunderstanding. You you don't have a concept of God. So as we finish out this series, I want to give you four truths about God that have helped me to trust Him with His good design for my life. Are you with me? Thanks, Dan. Number one, the Bible tells us, the Christian worldview tells us that God is great. What we want to do as humans is we want to pull God down to our level. And the Bible keeps saying, don't do that, that's not good for you. Let God be God. He is not like us, He is different from us. And when we say something is great, we tend to mean something is bigger, something is better, something is more valuable, more powerful... But when the Bible speaks of God's greatness, it speaks of his otherliness. God in the Bible is said to be holy, set apart. He is something otherly. He is in a class all by himself. There is none other like him. He is separate. He is distinct from all other things. He is infinite perfectionate, infinite greatness, infinite goodness, infinite majesty. He is a quality like no other, a beauty like no other. He is a being like no other. We need to let him be that. He is self-existent. He doesn't need anything to help him to exist. He exists because he exists, unlike you and I. He is self-ruled. He is self-sufficient. He is self-secure. He is unlike us, and everything he does is from him and his perfection, and his goodness, and his greatness. And so what this means for us is we must hold to, we must keep the creator-creation distinction. And it's really hard, because what we want to do is we want to climb up and kind of stand over God, and God's saying, don't do that. As soon as you do that, it goes bad for you, because you are a creature, and you cannot do it. It is self-destructive. Trust That I am the great one and I have made you. Let me tell you what leads to your freedom. Let me tell you what leads to your joy. Let me tell you what leads to your peace. Let me tell you what leads to your comfort. Let me tell you what leads to harmony within the human race. Let me tell you. Because I've made all things. I'm over all things. I am God. This great God, therefore, gives us our purpose. He tells us, who we are, how we are supposed to live. But also, this great God has made us with capacities. Because we're made in his image, you and I are rational, thinking beings. This is hugely important, even to the concept around vaccines, right? See, in a secular worldview, let's go with the Christian world. The Christian worldview says you are made in the image of God. You have value, dignity, and worth, even if you completely disagree with me. There are things that are clear in the Bible, that the Bible says this is clear for all people at all times, and then we have whole other categories where the Bible says, hey, you decide what you think with your mind, with your reasoning, with your own personal conscience, whether you will drink alcohol or not drink alcohol. Some people within their own conscience, within their own reason go, you know what, for me and my life and my stewardship before the Lord, alcohol is not good for me. That is my father, that is Carly's father. This side, there are other Christians who are like, actually, based on my reasoning and my thinking and using the, the capacities in which God has given me, I think it's okay for me to drink. There is a moral obligation that says, do not get drunk, that's for all of us. Just Can we just remind you all of that for those drinkers in the room? That is a moral obligation, that is clear, we're not to get drunk. But there is a sense in which there is freedom What do you do when it comes to vaccines? Well, we don't have to fight like our culture fights, right? Because we have a completely different worldview which says, hey, listen, there seems to be some things which are really clear. There seems to be some other things which are a matter of conscience. And God made you with your own mind, with your own ability to reason, with your own conscience. Therefore, even if you and I disagree, I'm going to value you as a human being, who's not an idiot. One of my favorite things on, if you read any of the social media, it's like, you're dumb. You're dumb. Well, you're stupid dumb. Yeah, well, you're really, really, really stupid, stupid dumb. And everybody's just fighting at each other because you know what we can't do? We can't actually see the value in a person coming to their own adult, individual, relative decision in a relative worldview the christian worldview says there are objective morals and there are subjective conscience morals so the christian the christian church we don't fight we seek to love and empower and support each other with those decisions asking deeper questions help me to understand why did you choose the vaccine why did you choose not to get vaccinated yeah it's gone so quiet We, we should give each other the permission to come to these conclusions based on the fact that God made us with the capacity to make these decisions. Some decisions, some things are clear. You cannot sleep around with someone who is not your spouse. Right? I cannot commit adultery. There's no time. Well, I came to my own reason and uh, in my own good conscience and my wife's like, slap! <laughs> it's like, no, no, everybody slaps, right? It's like, no, 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 you can't do that don't do it's not okay to murder what do you put into your body what don't you put into your body how do you steward your life do you watch that movie not watch that movie do you go to those venues do you not go to those venues these are matters of conscience that we are seeking to give each other grace and mercy to decide end of dad talk okay number two god is good God is not only great, but he is good. He is designer of all things, but everything that he makes is good. And because he is good, he is designing all things, purposing all things towards this goodness. Think of the the idea of altruism. Where does that come from? See, in an evolutionary, you know trajectory, right? The idea is that everything is kind of survival of the fittest, but when you get to altruism, it's actually like, you know what? Me loving you, me serving you, me caring for you is actually going to affect me. So why do we do it? Why do we look at those who are marginalized in society and go, that's wrong, rather than survival of the fittest, suck it up, we're moving on, we actually engage and go, no, 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 this is unjust. We, we must make this Right? There is racism. We must engage and make this right. There is sexism. We must engage and make this right. There is abuse. We must engage and make it right. Why do we do that? The Christian worldview is because that is the nature of God in you that sees the brokenness of the world and says wrong. Engage. I have friends who I talk to about some of the things that they're deeply, deeply passionate about, and they have no grounds upon which to fix those things. And I always say, on what grounds do you see that as being wrong in your worldview? How can you say that is wrong? I agree with you that it's wrong, but I feel like I have grounds to say why it is wrong because that is a person who God loves and redeems and cares for and made in the image, and they are being treated in a way which is unlike God. Wrong. Let's engage. So, so why do we do this? Because God has made us in His image, and God is good. And goodness, whilst in our brokenness, whilst in our issues, whilst in our uh, weaknesses and shortfalls, we have a desire to see good. Amen. Yeah. Number three, God is gracious. Oh, when I found this, it was it was amazing to me remember part of my journey there was some of that police fingerprint mugshot deal. Um, That was like surface level stuff. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on in my life. It wasn't just that I didn't want God to tell me what to do. It's that if I came to God as I really am, He will reject me. Because if, if He is who the Bible says, how could He ever, ever want me? The brokenness, depravity in my life... No way. There was stuff that I would not tell anyone about that was in my story. And as I continued to meet this God and continued to journey with this God, I found like he just kept calling me to him and saying, Hey, it's okay not to be okay. I just don't want you to stay that way. I want to bring you into my family. I want to love you and extend to you my good grace. Is this not humbling? You see, the Christian worldview doesn't just say that we are all good. The Christian worldview also says we are all broken. So not only now do I not look at you as just being someone who has good in them, I look at myself as someone who could be broken. And I am in need of grace. I am in need of restoration. And I can tell you now, if you will follow Jesus, you will experience his good grace in a way that no other human being will ever give you. It humbles us. It transforms us. If you think about the early church, the Greeks and the Romans never mixed rich and poor. Never. You didn't even mix women and children with men. Christians did. James comes in and says, hey, don't you give the... The, the rich people, the front seat, don't you dare do that in the church. We are rich and we are poor and we are one family. The Jews didn't mix with races, Christians did. The Christians said, We don't care what you look like on the outside. God's calling all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, come and follow Jesus. Why would such an exclusive belief that Jesus is God lead to the most inclusive, peace-loving behavior, humble behavior? Well, because the Christ that we follow was a man who hung on a cross and loved people who didn't love him. He forgave people who opposed him and abused him. He sacrificially served those who were against him. And so when the early Christians took that into their very heart, it changed the way they lived with people. Because they had realized, we have been welcomed in. We, poor, marginalized, other races, were now being welcomed in. And it started to turn the Roman Empire upside down. We were lifting up the value, dignity, and worth of women and children. Jesus would have children sit on his lap. In their day, children were... flicked off like this, do not come and interrupt while mom and dad are talking. Stay away from the adults. And Jesus kept saying, let them come in. And then he would use them and go, this is the kingdom of God. The Christian story keeps elevating the women in culture and says, we don't treat women like this. Women get to follow Jesus. Women get to be educated. Women get to be a part of the story. And so they put in the story that it's women who are the first to meet Jesus as the resurrected Savior and start telling everybody about Jesus. And they say, we're not going to keep that out of the story. We're going to keep that in because this is how Jesus treats women. This is how Jesus treats those of other ethnicities. This is how Jesus treats those of other worldviews. Jesus keeps giving his grace. And lastly, that God is glorious. This is to say that God is satisfying to the human soul. This is to say that it's not really asking the question about which religion is right, but more about which worldview is actually offering the human life. And I've explored as many worldviews as I can, and there's no other worldview which says, I will give you life. In other words, that we were made by God, but we were made for God. And the only thing that will truly satisfy your soul is God. And so even if, as the band come up, there are some things in this book which are hard to reconcile, which there are. There are hard, there are hard things to understand in this book. Don't take your eyes off the God of the book. Explore the God of the book. Find out what His nature really is like that He is great and He has made all things and He has designed them and purposed them a certain way, that He is good, that His ways constantly are leading to the flourishing of the human soul and human life, that He is gracious and merciful, that even in our brokenness, even when we do break the objective morals of God, that He welcomes us in and says, come, just come, just come. Turn from me and come to me and I will forgive you and give you my grace and that He is ultimately glorious that you can have all of the material things in this world, but if you do not have God, you don't have life. Come meet this Jesus and feel what it feels like to be set alight with the King of the universe. And you can know Him and you can walk with Him and eventually you will trust Him and you can follow Him. And this God will give you the peace that you are looking for. He will give you the joy that you are looking for. He will give you the life that you are looking for because He is those very things. He is life. He is joy. He is peace. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au.